As an anthropologist working with Colombian refugees who have fled across the Colombian-Ecuadorian border to escape violence in their own country, I have thought a lot about fear. But it's a taxi driver in downtown Quito who gets me thinking about the relationship between fear and world building. He wants to know what I'm doing in Ecuador. I tell him I'm leaving Quito the following week for the Amazon, that I've been there before, and that my partner and I are anthropologists. There, in that place, snakes are what there is to fear, he tells me. He has a round face and thick black hair pressed against his head with gel, and he looks at me in the rearview mirror as he speaks. In that place, El Monte, close to the border with Colombia where he grew up, where the guerrilla is, in those hills of many different greens, snakes are what there is to fear. There are some snakes known as mata caballo, snakes that wrap themselves around the necks of horses to strangle the life out of them. I listen, adjusting the seatbelt in the back of the taxi so that it doesn't scrape against my neck. It was a snake that made his mother leave, he tells me, a snake that killed his younger brother. He had been playing around the river with some other kids. They were building a bridge to cross the river, binding sticks together and laying them across. The snake bit his brother's hand as he reached for a sapling. He died, like that, without knowing what it was to live, without knowing what there was to fear. His mother left that place, taking her surviving son with her, without thinking about what she would do. She wanted to be far away from the place, that river, those children, that place, that monte. I unbuckle my seatbelt, pay my fare, and get out onto a Quito street. There are street vendors selling chiclets and cigarettes, and people wearing suits walking to work. The naked sun of the mountains warms the back of my neck as I step out into the traffic. I still have to learn what there is to fear. Later, a Colombian woman, thin and sixty-ish, with a wrinkled face and steely eyes, gazes at me, assessing whether I will believe what she says or not. The psychologist told me I have persecution anxiety, I said to her, shouting, How do you think I could forget the face of the man who killed my son? How could I? She's asking me now to assess the possibility that such a thing could happen, that one could forget the face of a killer. In the city of Quito, Ecuador, 150 miles from the border with Colombia, seeing the face of a murderer is what there is to fear. If I will accept that she could not forget the face of the man who murdered her son, we can continue. If not, I am contributing to the sense that the world is shifting under her feet. Another woman, Carmen, tells me her husband Joaquin is constantly watching for someone. Someone from Colombia sent to get rid of him because he knows too much to emerge from a doorway on the street, to come around the corner, to pull up beside them on a motorcycle. Carmen tells me about going to the market near their house. As they were chatting with a fruit seller, they looked up and across the stall, they saw her, the woman who had ordered the murders. Their eyes locked, 
Without thinking or speaking to each other, Joaquin and Carmen fled, running out of the market and up a nearby street where there happened to be a taxi idling. They jumped in and lay down and asked the driver to drive away, fast. I remember being surprised as she told me the story that he drove away, just like that, with them lying across the back seat. What did the taxi driver think they were running from? But he did. He drove away. When Carmen went to see the psychologist, the psychologist said that Carmen had probably mistaken the identity of the person who was across from her at the market stall. It happens all the time. It isn't possible that the killer would bother coming to Ecuador. Carmen felt even more desperate. She told me over and over that she knew it was her. How could anyone forget the face of a killer? To become part of a world, one accepts a shared image of what there is to fear. I think about this as the kinship of fear. I am interested in thinking about the stories as scenes of instruction, through which what there is to fear is transmitted. The listener, first me during fieldwork, and now the listener of this podcast, is presented with a series of images and asked, Can you see this my way? Do you feel my fear? In this way, fear is communicated, or not, to someone who is from somewhere else, someone who doesn't belong to a particular world of fear. Snakes are what there is to fear. The familiar face of a murderer is what there is to fear. The sound of an unfamiliar motorcycle revving tells you that you need to flee. It's a dark definition of a world, a universe of possible or shared fears. I think, though, that these scenes of instruction are also scenes of induction. To become part of a world, one accepts a shared image of what there is to fear. I think about this as the kinship of fear. Since 2016, I have been working in collaboration with an NGO funded by the United Nations High Commission for Refugees with a group of Colombian refugees in Quito, Ecuador. As is often the case in fieldwork, the connections between me and that group have alternately thinned and thickened, and the contours of the group have shifted until what is left is a set of beautiful, fragile, overlapping relations. They are, among many other things, my fear kin. That is, I take their fears seriously. Could we also understand kin, then, in the broadest and perhaps darkest sense, as those who dwell in a shared world of fear? What would it mean to develop a theory of how fear images travel or are communicated. We have the sense that images can be contagious, that they can have what the philosopher and art historian Georges Didi Huberman calls epidemic power. Images, like viruses, are easily transmitted and can exert a certain power over the recipient. But what would a theory of image contagion look like? How would it help us understand the way we accept or deny the fears of those around us? 
For instance, is it the image itself that has epidemic power, or is it the way of seeing? The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein writes of seeing aspects. When you look at the famously ambiguous picture of the duck rabbit, do you see it as a duck or as a rabbit? Each is a different aspect of the image. How and why does one move from seeing one aspect to seeing the other? Why is the image of fear that someone offers us communicable or not? In the end, Wittgenstein muses that when you suddenly see the duck instead of the rabbit, quote, what is incomprehensible is that nothing and yet everything has changed, unquote. The process of coming to see something one way instead of another is difficult to put into words. Everything changes, yet nothing changes. So, when Carmen presents the image of the person across the market stall to the psychologist, the psychologist is unable to see a murderer. For the psychologist, nothing changes. There is no communication. The psychologist insists on seeing the image as a rabbit. There is no duck staring her down. Wittgenstein's work suggests that whether or not you see the duck, or get a joke, or hear the feeling in music, depends on inhabiting a world in common, which he famously refers to as a form of life. But maybe it's the other way around. Is it possible? that that shared world doesn't exist before the ability to get the joke, see the duck, or hear the music? That being able to do so actually allows that world to come into being? In that case, what happens when a Colombian refugee in Quito shares their fears with me? Joaquin's family members sometimes complain that he is paranoid and urge him to relax a little. They say maybe he imagined the killers in the market, but he insists that his fear is the reason, the only reason, that they are all still alive. Every time he argues about his so-called paranoia, he is asking his family to join him in this fear world, to acknowledge the reality of his fears. Getting it wrong could literally be the end of him and his family. Fear defines the dark limits of being and staying alive. When you understand what there is to fear, nothing changes, yet everything changes. Many Colombians in Ecuador have the sense that their stories are not believed, that their fears are dismissed. In my article for Peeps magazine, I expand upon these topics. For a further look into the Colombian refugee experience, look to the Peeps Magazine website at peepsmagazine.ca.